homage to the Buddha, the Dhamma and the Sangha. Welcome back young friends and everyone joining for the gradual teaching series. We're continuing to look at the Buddha's gradual instructions on heavenly realms and most recently we've been looking a little bit deeper at Kamma. And there are many questions that come up around the gravity of Kamma, that if we do something that is unconscious or unknowing, what is the impact of that Kamma? And at the time of the Buddha, there were lots of questions around what really drives karma. Is it bodily actions? Is it verbal actions? Or is it mental actions? And the Buddha was very clear that intention is really karma. So it is the mind that is the leader. So we're going to look at some of Buddha's words in this respect. So the first thing we're going to look at is what leads and controls. So there is this sutta called the Chitta Sutta in the Sangyutta Nikaya. And it begins by asking, by what is the world led around? By what is it dragged here and there? What is the one thing that has all under its control? And then it answers, the world is led around by the mind. By mind, it's dragged here and there. Mind is the one thing that has all under its control. So this is a very interesting sutta because what's very clear is that what we think is really something that determines uh, what happens next. So in terms of even how we create our world, we create our world through our mind. We make contact with something and then our mind starts to direct it in any one direction. And so when we have mastery or control over our minds, it's a very good thing because then we can choose quite wisely. The Buddha also says in the Sangyutta Nikaya, whatever qualities are unwholesome, partake of the unwholesome and pertain to the unwholesome, all have the mind as their forerunner. Mind arises first, followed by the unwholesome qualities. And then he also says, whatever qualities are wholesome, partake of the wholesome and pertain to the wholesome, all have the mind as their forerunner. Mind arises first, followed by the wholesome qualities. So you can clearly see that Buddha is explaining that the mind comes first. So if you are inclined towards unwholesome things, then unwholesome verbal bodily behavior will follow that. And likewise, if you train, if you train in the wholesome, then if the mind arises first, then what follows is those wholesome things through body and speech. So it's quite critical that in terms of empowerment, in terms of making the choices and having the intention, when you know that the mind arises first, it's very good to clarify and make sure your intentions are particularly wholesome because whatever comes next is really as a result of what you intend. So if you intend to harm someone, then that's what will unfold in terms of one's other actions. But in contrast to that, if you have the intentions not to harm, not to have any animosity to somebody else, if you also want to be less stingy or things of that nature, then that's what will unfold in your speech, in, in your bodily actions. And so it's quite an important thing to recognize that the mind comes first. As we've spoken about, the Buddha talks about karma in terms of our volition and what we intend. 
And so there's this sutta called the Chetana Sutta, where Buddha expands on this. The Buddha says, what one intends and what one plans, and whatever one has as tendency towards, this becomes the basis for the maintenance of consciousness. So Buddha's really talking about how we develop the mind and how we direct it in both wholesome or unwholesome directions. So if our intention is unwholesome, then usually we make plans which are unwholesome. And if our underlying tendency, so this might be a habitual way of thinking, if that is also unwholesome, then the result is unwholesome. That means what flows from the mind and where it gets directed to is unwholesome verbal and bodily actions. Likewise, if your intentions are wholesome, and of course you make plans which are wholesome, and you're leaning on your tendencies which are wholesome, then this becomes the way that you direct your mind. So your verbal and bodily actions will be wholesome. Now, as we know from different meditations that we do, our minds are not always clean. Our habit tendencies could be on the unwholesome side. So we might have envy, we might have anger, we might have all these different kinds of mental stains. And so when we do the meditation for the Vatupama Sutta or similar meditations, then what we're doing is we're purifying our mind of those stains. So in that respect, when we purify it, our intentions become more wholesome. So this is very helpful towards overcoming uh, volitional activities that are unwholesome because we know that if our mind is leaning towards greed, hatred and delusion, it's very unhelpful and we want to correct the tendency. So when you hear the Buddha always talking about encouraging monks and nuns, encouraging lay people to train and to develop the mind, it's really around this, to develop it with wisdom and to develop the meditations that help it to incline towards wholesome activities. So wholesome activities that are directed by the mind and therefore directing it towards verbal and bodily actions, which are also wholesome. Let's look at a couple of examples in order to help us to understand it. We'll keep this quite simple. So on the unwholesome side, let's take, for example, that you don't like dogs. And in the past, you've harmed dogs in terms of uh, throwing sticks or stones at them. And clearly your intention is one that is not particularly wholesome. So you mean harm because of your dislike for a dog. And so when you know that the neighbor's dog, for example, comes by your house every, every day, then you might make plans in order to harm them. So you maybe plan to have a little pile of stones or sticks in order to throw them at the dog. So you can see that if you have this underlying tendency towards dogs that is not particularly nice, and you have an intention to harm, then you make plans in order to carry out those unwholesome things. So it becomes the mind directs towards bodily misconduct. And you might even shout at the dog and, and call it out or something. So that's one example on the unwholesome side. Now on the wholesome side, it can be also that you have an underlying tendency, but it's a good one. So in the past, you really enjoy offering dana or helping poor people. So in your mind, you think it's a really good thing to do. And so you think, oh, I must do that more often. 
And so you make plans to go to the monastery or the temple to go and offer some food or to drop some food for the homeless people. So you can see when it's on the wholesome side that if you have these underlying tendencies, these habits to either do good or bad, that is what carries you. You make intentions with your mind about what you will and won't do. Then you make the plans and then you fulfill them. And so that's kind of in a very simplistic way how it works. So the gravity of what you do is really about where you intend to do it. So if you have intentions of harm, then that's where the karma starts to, to begin. And if you have uh, intentions which are particularly wholesome, to be generous, to be non-harmful, then again, that is where the karma actually starts to happen. And that's even way before you actually action it. So you begin it in your mind. So on the wholesome side, what people normally say is, when you're being generous, the wholesome activity begins when you start to actually have that idea, I want to do this. And then it continues when you start to plan, what do I need to buy in order to do this? Then it continues after that. So it can be a really powerful thing to know about directing the mind and what you intend. We have a story from the time of the Buddha that can help us to understand this Dhamma. And it's about this monk called Chakupalatera, who was a blind monk. And at the time, the Buddha was staying at Jetavana Monastery in Savati. And Chakupala actually came to stay at the monastery and pay respects to the Buddha. And one night, he was doing walking meditation, and he accidentally stepped on some insects. And in the morning, the monks found dead insects on his walking path. And so they assumed the worst. They thought that the monk had actually intended to kill the insects. So they reported the incident to the Buddha and the Buddha asked them whether they had seen this particular monk kill the insects. And they had to answer that they hadn't seen it. And so the Buddha said, just as you haven't seen him killing, so also he hadn't seen those living insects. And he went on to say that because the Thera had uh, already attained arahantship, he was completely innocent because he had no intention of killing, so he had a purified mind. So that's particularly interesting for us because Buddha is clearly emphasizing that intention is very, very important. So in the case of Chakupalatera, he had no intention at all. As an arahant, he has completely uprooted greed, hatred and delusion. There is no intention to kill. So the Buddha then uh, um, spoke a verse at the end of speaking to the monks he actually went through how the the blind thera had come to be blind in this lifetime but afterwards he actually uttered this verse he said mind precedes all mental states mind is their chief they are all mind made if with a corrupt mind one speaks or acts from that suffering follows like a wheel that follows the foot of an ox so in this case you can see the Buddha is again reiterating that the leader is the mind because we construct through our perceptions, our thoughts and what we feel about something. They're all mind-made and so if we have a corrupt mind, that's mean, that means that they're rooted in unwholesome intentions, then we would speak or act in a particular way that follows that and if we do that, then we suffer. So it's a very important teaching. And a very good example for us to contemplate because a lot of the times people do ask 
if I walk and I and I kill ants or I step on a worm, you know, is that a really bad thing? And if your intention is not to kill, then of course the the karma is not substantial. But of course we're not arahants, so we're not completely pure. So there may be some some kind of karma associated with with it, but it won't be as if we did it on purpose. So that's that's really where this teaching is coming from. And the example of Chakupalathera is because his mind was completely purified. We have another story from the Dhammapada that can help us to understand this Dhamma a little better. And it's the story of Mata Kundali. He was a young Brahmin and he lived with his father. But his father was known to be quite stingy and never gave anything away, never made offerings and, and anything wholesome like that. And when his son fell ill, so when Mata Kundali fell ill, they visited some doctors and the doctors said it was too late, there was nothing that could be done. And so he was actually going to pass away. So instead of allowing visitors to come inside the house, his father was very reluctant to let people see all the different types of things that he fashioned because he was a workman, someone who could make things out of gold. So he placed his son on the veranda outside the house. So when people came to visit, they could visit with his son, but they weren't allowed to come inside. So on that particular morning, the Buddha was meditating and he could see that Mother Kundali was probably ready. And although weak, there was probably an opening for, for this young man. So the Buddha came into Savati because he was staying at Jethavana Monastery at the time. He came into the, the town for Pindapart, for the arms round with his other disciples. And then he stood by the door of their house. And although Mata Kundali was quite weak, he couldn't move his body, probably couldn't speak, he was able to turn his head towards the light that the Buddha was shining. So he sent forth a ray of light in order to get Mata Kundali's attention. And at that time, he took refuge in the Buddha. So when he passed away, he actually had a mind full of devotion towards the Buddha. And he was reborn in the Tavatimsa Deva realm, so he ascended upwards. So his father was mourning him, very, very upset, as you can imagine. And at the cemetery, the young Deva reappeared as his former likeness. He could make himself look like what he looked like before. And so he appeared to his father and told him that he had been reborn in the Tavatimsa Deva world. And he asked his father to invite the Buddha to their house for a meal. Now, his father had never done anything like that before, so uh, amazingly he, he listened to his son. And so the Buddha came for a meal, and after the meal the Buddha was taking questions, and the question was asked was whether it was possible for someone to be reborn in a celestial world, so the Deva world, without keeping precepts and without being generous. And the Buddha actually, with his mind, willed Matuk Kundali to come as a Deva, so not to change himself into his previous form, but to come as the Deva. And when he came, he came in his full glory. So a very beautiful appearance, a lot of uh, light, and a lot of celestial ornaments as well he was blessed with. And so he told them about his rebirth in the Tavatimsa world. It was only at that point that the audience 
were compelled to believe that it was possible that even if you didn't keep precepts and even if you uh, hadn't been generous, but if your mind, you had taken refuge in the Buddha, then it was possible. Now that doesn't give us the opportunity to, to just simply not train our minds because it is a little precarious. We don't know Mata Kundali's uh, karmic bank balance. He could have had very uh, wholesome uh, karma accumulated in his bank balance. So we can never rest on the fact that we'll just leave it to the last minute and with our mind we'll just take refuge in the Buddha. It's actually a little bit risky, so it's not to be recommended. But it's very good to see that in this instance, the Buddha is actually showing that the mind is the forerunner. It is the, the chief, the leader. So he actually spoke this verse to the audience. He said, mind precedes all mental states. Mind is their chief. They are all mind made. If with a clear, bright mind one speaks or acts, from that happiness follows as an ever-present shadow. So clearly, when we incline towards wholesome with our mind, if we make our habit to be that rooted in, in wholesome, then what follows is wholesome speech, wholesome bodily actions, and that brings more happiness because the mind is imbued with happiness from doing good, from behaving in a, in a karmically good way. Good behavior through our volitional activities, body, speech and mind, results in in good results and therefore the mind becomes quite happy and so that becomes our ever-present shadow as the Buddha has said. So it's a really lovely encouragement. At the end of the, the discourse we find out that both Mata Kundali and his father they both attained the path and fruit of a stream intra and so after that the very stingy father he donated almost all of his wealth towards uh, the Buddha's teaching and became a lay disciple of the Buddha. So it's very heartwarming. The final sutta that we can look at is one that is associated whether we need to rein in the mind from everything. And it's a really interesting one because if you're meditating, you know that there are certain teachings that always kind of encourage you to force yourself not to think and encourages to really use will, the power of your will not to think. And it's an extremely difficult thing to do. And so if you've come across that kind of thing, sometimes the question is asked, like, do we need to do that? Is that something that the Buddha teaches? And so this sutta is very good in terms of the Buddha's advice. So the Buddha says, from whatever one reigns in the mind, from that no suffering comes to one. Should one reign in the mind from everything, one is free from all suffering. One need not reign in the mind from everything when the mind has come under control. From whatever it is that evil comes from this, one should reign in the mind. So it's very interesting. The Buddha says that if you reign in the mind from everything, then you're free from all suffering. So maybe that's where people mostly come from. But then the Buddha goes on to say that you don't actually need to rein in the mind from everything if you have the mind under control. Now, when we meditate, we clearly bring the mind under control. We, we educate it on what is wholesome and what is unwholesome. We know that wholesome is rooted in non-greed, not hatred, non-delusion, which is the Buddha's path. And we also know that the unwholesome is greed, hatred and delusion. That's what we're reigning in our mind from where we're bringing it under control because from wisdom we know that is that is not going to reap good results 
So Buddha ends by saying, from whatever it is that evil comes, from this one should reign in the mind. Now, to understand that, part of how we can understand it is, you don't want to reign in the mind from the kusala. Because if you reign in the mind from everything, how do you move the mind in the direction that you want it to go? So if you want it to go upwards towards the deva world, or if you want to move it in order to extinguish and uh, lean towards Nibbana, then you need the wholesome side of the mind to direct it. So this last bit where the Buddha says you just rein it in from the unwholesome, the evil, it's really because that's supportive of the path. You want to abandon the mental stains, you want to correct the verbal and the bodily misconduct, and at the same time you want to develop and train all the wholesome things. So you want the mind that is going to be imbued with uh, generosity, you want the mind that is going to have no ill will, that it's not going to have harm towards other people. You, you definitely want to have that. So that's on the wholesome side. And therefore, as a result of that, it, it directs uh, our actions, the rest of our actions, our speech and our bodily actions towards the wholesome side as well. And so when you walk this path, it's very clear that the wholesome mental actions are very, very important. So this particular sutta is very helpful for us in terms of knowing that the mind is the forerunner, the leader, but how we use it, how we train it, and how we develop it. So that's why when we meditate, like the meditations we've done before, like the metta school meditation, the uh, even when we contemplate our sila, recollect our sila, when we recollect our generosity, we're actually directing the mind towards the good, towards the wholesome. And so there's no need to actually turn that off. It actually helps the mind get happy. And with that happiness and the one-pointedness of the mind, you can direct it to other things. You can direct it to your studies. You can direct it to your work. You can direct it to the well-being of the whole world. We can end our session here. Let's share the merit with all sentient beings. May all beings be happy and well. May all beings be free from suffering. Blessings of the Triple Gem. Wishing you well, young friends. Teruan Saranai.